we're back with the Hammer Podcast. Welcome back, Hammerheads. Once again, another edition from the excellence in pastoral broadcasting. That's right. Our microphones are gold, and they are the best. That's right. All right, friends. So, this past week, we talked about how much do you desire Jesus, or do you not desire Jesus? But, before we get into all of that, you had said some very interesting things about Jesus being under investigation by the, I think you called it SBI? Could you explain that a little bit further? I mean, I feel monitored right now, and I'm kind of triggered. So what do you mean by the SBI? Yes, well, you are. Mon- we're all monitored by the CCP, but we're talking about the SBI, <laughs> and it's th- this, this investigation that's going on of Jesus in the Gospels. Right. It, it's, it's in the background there, and it's, it's one of those elements and, and truths in Scripture that back when I was a newer believer and reading through the Gospels, I wasn't even really aware of uh, the customs of the Judaizers and exactly how the Sanhedrin worked and so forth. Uh, so once you see that, you see yet another element at play in the background here, the Gospels, but but yeah, the the SBI is as I'm calling it, right? The Sanhedrin, as we mentioned, Bureau um, of Investigation. That's right, made up of you know seventy men plus one being the high priest. Did they have women on that board? They did not. <laughs> they did not. It was not a very uh, woke woke or or feminist board uh, at that time. But nonetheless, they had seventy, like I said, men plus uh, one. And out of the 70 men, uh, you had primarily uh, Pharisees and Sadducees, and, and some scribes were also Pharisees, kind of wore a double hat. You, you mm. see that in the Gospels. So, but they set out to investigate. And, and again, Jesus is the one who really sets all of this in motion. I mean, we know God's providential, right? So we're not surprised by that statement that Jesus sets it in motion. But again, right. there's always more going on in God's providence than we ever can know. Which is a fascinating point on Sunday. One yeah. that I think we all miss in our own personal lives often. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, and so it kind of makes you stop and think, okay, what's where's God's providence? I mean, it's seen in our lives every day, but we kind of don't really think about it or pick up on it, right? Right. But there are things going on. There are things that God already has uh, that is at work at that's going to play itself out tomorrow and the next day and beyond in our lives, which is pretty exciting. And, and uh, only God could do this. But you, you look at, at at the SBI here, the Sanhedrin, and you know Jesus heals the leper, tells him specifically to go to the priest, who of course are at the temple grounds. Right. So they go there. And what do you have? Uh, you, you have the priest there. They, they hear this leper. And again, they would have a book. Right. A book of lepers. A, a book of that would, right. It would have all the, those who have been, it's been recorded. It has been confirmed that they have leprosy. And of course, I think it was Luke told us that he was, had full blown leprosy. So, I mean, everybody that knew this guy knew that. Kind of like a vaccine passport <laughs> in reverse. Something like that. <laughs> uh, and look, they knew then that this guy wasn't lying or making this up. 
So again, they send some guys on a three-day journey, 60 miles, treacherous, some of it was, uh, among the 60 miles, to go find Jesus, see what he's doing, and 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 ultimately just, just kind of observe and figure out a way, how can we discredit, how can we silence this man? You know, it wasn't a real... And I know we've never heard of this either. This this wasn't a real investigation. Wait, what? It yes. wasn't genuine? Yeah, no, it was not genuine. They weren't they didn't set out and say, hey, you know what? Let's let's really it's not like in uh later chapters we're gonna see, right, where John the Baptist is in prison and he's got followers that he sends out and you know, he's got a pretty good idea that this absolutely is the Messiah, and in fact sends these guys out more for them than for him, but we'll talk about that in later chapters. But that was genuine. Right. He knows, hey, you're gonna go out and you're gonna see this this truly is the Messiah. Right? This That's, wasn't a show that this is was a show trial of right. sorts. This is a show trial that isn't legitimate because they just want to silence Jesus. I mean he's gaining all of this influence, all of this traction, and even people that aren't believing in him as the Messiah that was predicted in the Old Testament. Uh, or trusting him as their Lord, as their Savior, they're still becoming enamored with him. And, you know, if it came down to, hey, Jesus is teaching over here, right? and some of the Pharisees or some of the Sanhedrin are having a teaching event over here, they're going to, like, get no one. And they're going to go find Jesus right. and not go to the Sanhedrin Yes, exactly. So, moments. I mean, understand what's going on here. So there was some jealousy. A whole lot. Yeah, and what is at stake here? So they just want to discredit him. They just want to silence him. And so this is all part of that. And uh, we're going to see as we go through, uh, we're going to begin to see this work itself out in uh, in the Gospels. Yeah, it's good. You know, another point that you made was that the Pharisees and the Sadducees were running around and in part of their teaching saying that the Messiah would be the only one that could heal leprosy. Right, that's right. It's one of the three, and we'll talk about the other two when we get to them, but it's one of the three, what they what, what is known as messianic uh, messianic miracles. Now, this is, not, this is not something that a lot of us, especially in Gentile world, is necessarily familiar with. Right. But again, this gets back to the more you learn about Scripture and the more you study, you, you, you begin to see these things or understand that it's in the background there. So the rabbis taught, uh, the Pharisees taught, right, that there were, were three specific miracles that only the Messiah could do. And all of them, we can reach back into the Old Testament and, and see... Uh, some examples of this, but one of them is leprosy. And of course, in the Old Testament, leprosy was tied into and used, in fact, as an illustration of sin. Mm-hmm. So the right. physical leprosy someone would have was used as, as an illustration of our uh, spiritually our sin. And how it was destroying Absolutely, the from, from the inside out. Right. Uh, and it just gets worse and gets worse and, and eats away and deteriorates. And so... Uh, we, and so the irony here, of course, is that Jesus sends a leper, knowing it's going to spark this investigation, right, and get everybody talking, right. And then, as the as they send people out, the Sanhedrin sends people out. So the SBI are there. What does Jesus do? Right, he performs a miracle and says, "Your sins are forgiven." 
So we see again the tie-in between leprosy and the forgiveness of sins. Right. I didn't have time to mention this in the sermon. That That's the thing. When you're, I mean, you could easily preach for 90 minutes a week, but we wouldn't have much of an audience. If we, <laughs> I think we could have a few faithful. If we did few that, that we, would, uh, we, we might, the hammerheads would be the there. Hammerheads the hammerheads would be would there be for there. the full 90 so minutes. So there's a lot going on here in the Gospel of Matthew, and it's just all, uh, just magnifies the splendor of our Lord all the more. Yeah, it really is amazing. It really is truly amazing. Okay, so as we turn to the paralytic man who had three, shall we say, faithful friends, we see that they go in through the roof to get to Jesus. And, I, you know, okay, not three. It was four faithful friends that wanted their friend to see yeah, Jesus. Yeah, don't mess it up. Man. Yeah, you, it, you Do you also right. go around talking about the three horsemen yeah, that's instead right. of the four horsemen? <laughs> that's right. But there are three in the Trinity, okay? That, so that's I like true. You're the number Trinitarian. three. I'm You're a Trinitarian. Trinitarian. All right, all amen, right. amen. But, I mean, it's, it's an amazing feat that they would get onto the roof amongst this crowd because Jesus is, you know, the people are coming to him. Yes. Right? Yeah. And they would lower him down. I mean, what, what else... Can we say, as we think about how amazing that is, and showing the desire that these men had to get near Jesus? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and of course, the faith which Jesus made much about, and and that's why uh, that's why they were willing to do this, right, for their friend and their friend. One can only imagine. You know, we're not told the conversations these guys had leading up to it, right? We're not told, hey, hey, can you, hey guys, can you take me? to go see Jesus? Or was it one of the four friends or, or a couple of them that said, you know what, man, we, we need to take, you know, we don't have the names of these right. guys, but hey, we need, we need to take you. you we got to get you to Jesus, man. Right. You know, we, we, because he can heal you. We, we don't mm-hmm. know how all of it went down ahead of time, right? In God's providence, but they show up and presumably they would not have known ahead of time that they were going in that through they the were going to have to go through the roof, right? Right. right. Unless you know, we don't know how far away they were, or how far they had to walk. You know, maybe a couple of the friends scoped it out, and they're like, "Hey, let's you know, we're going to carry you, but we also need to take the chainsaw and all the you know, load up the truck, boys, right? right. Uh, with the tools. I mean, we we don't know all of that of how it went down, but it didn't just happen. It went down. There were conversations had. There was planning had which right. is just remarkable to think about right well and then you know they got to get him up on the roof he's a paralytic yes so i mean getting him onto the roof is the thing yeah he can't do anything right. he's no help and then lowering him i mean the whole thing is yeah. amazing yeah absolutely and so uh it, it's one of the shorter uh, maybe forgotten events in the life of Jesus in terms of, I, I don't hear a whole lot of people talking about it, but mm-hmm. it really is uh, marvelous to see people going through a roof to get to Jesus. But again, it shows the determination that they had and the desperation too. Right. I mean, there was no one else. No one was going to heal this man. No one could grant forgiveness, right? But Jesus. Right. So we see the desperation there. Well, and, you know, just the parallel between their genuine faith and desperation to get to Jesus and then the artificial, right, um, the the fake manufactured desire to be near Jesus by the SBI to kind of plot and trap him. Sure, absolutely. 
is just, it's wonderful. And it does, it kind of comes to that question of desire, right? I mean, are, are there people that come to church in general, uh, you know, on an investigation mission where they really don't care about Jesus, but they want to be perceived as caring? And then are we people that actually want Jesus, that we desire him and we want um, to see him and know him more? And so as we think about that question, what are some ways that we can cultivate a greater desire for Jesus in our life so that we aren't like the SBI, right, right. we aren't like yeah. the, the fakers, but we're like the four that brought the paralytic man down into Jesus and moved heaven and earth yeah. to get to him? Yeah, I mean, this is we're talking about how can we cultivate, right? And we know the Holy Spirit ultimately has to do this in each of our hearts. Right. But, but how can we, from the human responsibility standpoint, cultivate, right, a, a desire in our own lives, a genuine desire for Jesus? And, and I don't really feel, I mean, I feel kind of hypocritical here even trying to answer this because I haven't found, I certainly haven't reached where I need to reach spiritually. Uh, that there are times, I mean, wasn't it John Piper that wrote a book, When I Don't Desire God? Yeah, right. Um, you know, so th- there are many times where I, I just don't. Th- there are a lot of times where for me to open my Bible to, and I'm not talking about preparing sermons, but I mean just to open my Bible. Like devotionally. Just to, devotionally, right? Just just f- between me and, and the Lord, right, for my own uh, spiritual walk, you know, sometimes it's, it's, I, I've got the time I'm sitting there, I'm doing whatever and I'm thinking about doing it, but it's like, it's, it's just so difficult to do. Right. And it's like, why don't I, why don't I run to the Bible? Well, why, why do I not have this overwhelming desire? And I, and I do sometimes, right. a lot of times I don't. And I'm thinking a lot of people that are listening to us are just like that. Right, there's this ebb and flow, and there's times where we really, we have all the time and the opportunity for it, yeah. but we don't go there. I mean, it ends up being a lot of times, like I, I had one uh, mentor that would relate it to uh, kind of, you know, working out, uh, where you you maybe don't feel like, maybe it's a walk, you know, maybe it's jogging, it's lifting weights, whatever, you don't feel like it every time, but then every time you do, you feel much better. Even before you're finished, you feel better and you're glad you did. Right. But sometimes just lacing up the shoes. Yeah, and just going and just for it. Just doing it, right? Is just it's just difficult. So uh, so I think we all have this battle. But when I when I look at scripture, when I think about okay, what what is it? I think part of it gets back to to the other D word, not just desire, but desperation. Mm. And and I think for us in our culture. I'm not sure how desperate we are for Jesus. Part of that is is not necessarily individually each one of our fault, maybe, uh, from the standpoint that, you know, we're born into this culture where we have so much. Right. So much is at our hands. I mean... Right. I mean, we, we don't pray, you know, Lord, I'm not really sure if we're going to have enough water to do what we need to do today. We're going to have enough food for lunch or for dinner. Mm-hmm. Now, we we pray for the food. Right. As we're getting ready to eat it, right? We, we don't pray for there to be food at the next meal. We don't right. really know much about that, right, in, in our culture. I mean, there may be some that do, but not many. So 
So I think our desperation, and we have, you know, we have emergency rooms. Uh, so, you know, we, we're getting sick physically or we feel something. We just, you know, we call 911 or we run into an emergency room. We go to a walk-in clinic. And I'm not saying any of that's sin to do that, right? Sure. But there, there are so many other avenues for us to find solutions in our culture. Right. That I think it's that I think it can easily numb us into not being desperate for Jesus and not going to him first and foremost in all cases. Yeah. And, and I, I think, think that's good. I think I certainly have been guilty of that and am guilty of that. Not have been, but but even am now in, in my life. Yeah, no, I I share the guilt. It's easy to it's just easy to be distracted by all these other things and all the the luxuries of living in a first world country where we have needs can be met. Yeah, absolutely. It, you know, it reminds me of, I think it was S. Lewis, um, C.S. Lewis, who said, duty is the crutch that leads to delight. And it's kind of what you were saying with this lace up your boots, that we need to just accept the fact that our duty is to be in God's yeah. word, obeying him, and in the crutch example, we've got a broken leg. Like it takes time for it to become delight, but we just got to lace it up and go for it. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's I harder like to do quote. now. That's, it's a good picture. Yeah. I yeah. think so. And yeah. it's harder to do now because we don't, there, we don't have the desperation. And so it really is, it feels like a chore. Like, Oh, I'm doing this out of some sort of checklist, but that's what leads yeah. to this delight that we go to the places where Jesus is resides which is in right. his word and yeah, through prayer right i mean i often have people say well you know is it really any good if i don't really feel like praying but i pray or i really don't feel like reading my bible but i'm only doing it out of duty you know does god look down on that look yes we should be doing it out of delight okay but it's a lot better to do it and as we're doing it say lord as best I can read my heart, I feel like I'm only doing this because I know I should be, not because I want to. Right. Lord, give me the want to here. Right. But still do it. But still do it. Yeah. Which just, you know, it reminds me of Psalm 1, right? Blessed is the man who meditates on the law mm, of the Lord yeah. day and night. He doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers, right? He doesn't delight in people that hate God. He delights in what God loves. And he sits and resides with the people that love God. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So, well, good. All right. Well, is there... Is there an evangelistic cultural element to this whole delight, desire of Jesus? Hmm. Yeah. Well, obviously, again, you know, unbelievers are watching. And, and I think they're going to see, they may not, you know, see us go through the proverbial roof to sure. get to Jesus. But, but they're going to they're gonna pick up on, our, on the top priorities and desires in our lives. And so I think, uh, I think again, by just, you know, I think a lot of our, a lot of our evangelism, um, we always think it has to be a hundred percent intentional. Like right. We're going and knocking on a door. Right. Or standing you know? on a street corner with a megaphone. Right. You know, and if you stand on a street corner today with a megaphone, you're probably what? Some <laughs> sort of a freak. Yeah. Right. And if, you if, might if, not be there long. Right. And if you knock on a door, um, you, you, you probably unsettle people today. Right. So, um, in, in our culture, but look, when you, people are just, 
when we live our lives the way we're supposed to, people can see that. Now, right. I'm not saying we never intentionally talk about Jesus with people. Of course we do. Right. But people are going to see. Uh, if I have to tell my neighbor every time I see them that Jesus means something to me. Right. Uh, that I love Jesus. Uh, or that, you know, the Bible is the word of God. Or Jesus is, you know, if I have to say those actual words every time I see them, then, then something's wrong. I ought to be able to say those sort of things to them in, in conversations but everything else about my life that they see and observe uh, should picture that. Right. And, and should be in agreement with that. Right. Well, and the people that are in our lives, they're observing all that we do. And I mean, it should be, I can't remember which dead theologian said it, but, you know, when we get cut, we should bleed Bible. And so if unbelievers are around our lives, they're going to inevitably yeah. see us get bumped. Right, life's gonna throw us a curveball, and when that bump happens, does Bible, does Jesus spill over, or does yeah. something else spill over? We'll and that's just, gonna be a tell. Yeah, right. what we yeah, love. That's right. That's right. And we'll probably just say Spurgeon said that. That's what everybody says. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Spurgeon, but yeah, I wasn't I don't know sure. Anyone else just say, you know, he did say, you know, something about that might have been Bunyan that he was talking about with that. But anyway, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So this is, you know, it's important stuff is it is it, is. it time it, it is time i was getting some feedback here on the mic so i was observing that for a second but yeah that's right yep snurdly has told us that we need to make it to the next segment that's right hammerheads the fan favorite which is that's right the inquisition so let me turn here, here we go. there should be no feedback on these golden microphones I, you know there shouldn't be any feedback on these golden microphones so it was and a little bit of oddity for me, but all right, never like, come on, guys, let's get to the vault. All right, so hold on. Yeah, all right. This, I'm telling you, this thing is getting so packed. It, it's we might have to upgrade it. There Just, we go. There, there you go. we Pull go. Pull one from we the got, middle of the pack. All right, there all you right. go. I got one right out of the middle of the pack. So I have here in my formerly East Coast wing stained hands our Inquisition. And this, now, this is actually quite a fascinating question. <clears throat> Do we know if the Apostle Paul ever met Jesus during Jesus's earthly ministry? Now, before the Damascus Road. Hmm. Okay, yeah, because Damascus Road is when he gets saved. Right, that's Paul's when he sees him. Yeah, yeah okay. so before the Damascus Road, did the yeah. Apostle Paul, I guess he would be Saul the murderer of Christians at that point. Yeah. But. Well, that is an excellent question, and the answer is we don't know. But I'll elaborate. Wait, we don't know? No, we don't know. Um, but that is a question that has been asked at times throughout church history and at least in modern church history there have been uh, more than one book and uh and and, and dissertation uh, written on it and you know we we still just don't know there are a few few verses in scripture that people try to use and say see this means that but it, it doesn't they're not at all conclusive right um so I think the best we could probably say is, here's what we know. Uh, Paul gets saved very soon after 
the resurrection. Okay, the Damascus Road uh, event occurs very soon after the resurrection. Therefore, where, what was Paul before that? Well, we know that he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Right. He, he, was, he was prime time. There was no one greater than him in terms of a Jewish resume. Yeah. And that's why most people, and there are other reasons that we don't have time to get into all of this. F.F. Bruce has written on uh, extensively and, and well on this topic. But we think, right, that Paul probably was even a member of the Sanhedrin. Okay, so he was on the the board that sent out the SBMI. Very possibly. Um, now, again, what we do know is, he, I mean, he's a ringleader, right? He's one of the ringleaders with Stephen. Death. So, right. so where was he? Just let's just keep backing up. So we've the Damascus Road back up earlier. He's there, right, with mm-hmm. with Stephen, uh, stoning of Stephen, and then back up a little further. And, and what do we have? We have the the ascension of Christ. You back up. You have his resurrection, right? Forty days earlier. You back up three days earlier. His death. So where was Paul during all that? Well, or otherwise known as Saul at that time, right? Well. Clearly, he was high up, so it would appear to me he, he definitely knew of him and heard of him. The question is, did he ever have any conversation with Jesus personally mm-hmm. while Jesus was on earth? Or even if it was in the crowd, was he... The one that said, prophesy, which one of us hit you? Right, right. What, was, did he have those sort of conversations? That we don't know. Uh, was he ever present somewhere where Jesus was actually teaching? right. Um, it, it escapes my mind now. There's something there. I, I don't even remember the verse. Some of our hammerheads listening will remember maybe this verse, but but he speaks about he uses the term, you know, the pronoun we, uh, and and in in dealing with Jesus's teaching at some point. I can't remember what epistle that's in, but anyway, and there that could mean that he's saying, look, you know, I I was there. I I heard him. We were there. Yeah. Right. Um, so my best guess would be that he absolutely was somewhere in a crowd and had seen Jesus do a work or two, perform a miracle or two, and, and even heard Jesus teach. Because again, he is high up, clearly high up Mm -hmm. among the Pharisees, perhaps even the Sanhedrin, when Stephen is martyred. Right. And everything else he says, a Pharisee, the Pharisees, right? Um, you know, and then you just continue to go on the resume he gives uh, for himself in Galatians. So, so I think when you put all of it together, I, I think that it's it's probably favors him. It certainly favors him again, having seen Jesus, having heard Jesus. Did he talk to him personally before the Damascus Road? We, we don't know, but at the very least, he was extremely aware of him. And almost certainly saw and or heard uh, his teaching and his miracles. But I don't know that that's something we think about much. No, yeah, definitely not something we think about, but fascinating to kind of go down that trail and uh, trace it back. So, yeah, absolutely. All right, Hammerheads. Well, that's the end for today. So, y'all hang in there for 168 hours yes we had some technical difficulties with the phone line but yeah. next week i think we're gonna have a call yes the technical difficulties it was you know what can we say but yes the caller id said bob and uh we, we were afraid it was 
hour, Bob, so we just cut it off. <laughs> we cut uh, it off. Yeah, that's it's... right. We cut it off. But that's right, friends. So next week we'll have our first phone call. And thanks for listening. We'll see you in 168 hours.